It was the summer between my second and third year of college, technically my third and fourth because I spent my first year pursuing a different kind of degree. But uh, after my first, my, my original freshman year in college, I transferred schools. I went to PUC Pacific Union College because I wanted to study theology. So in the summer between my second and third theology uh, school years, um, I had to apply to enter the actual theology department's program. See, they have a track for those who want to study pastoral ministry. But before you're accepted, you have to go through a battery of tests. The most uh, nervous one, I was, I, was nervous, I was the most nervous for the one where I met with the counselor. They made you take a personality test, aptitude test, a number of other tests, and then I had to sit down with the counselor where he would uh, examine me, ask me a bunch of questions to see if I was fit for ministry. <clears throat> so I was young. Uh, I was about to turn 20 or around 20, and, and I, I, I sat in the room, and he asked me a number of questions. And I don't know if you guys have gone to see a counselor. Usually you go to them for help. Not for approval, uh, it's usually not how it works, but there I was, sitting there, and he was sitting across, and he had a pencil in his ear, and I was so nervous about, you know, answering the right questions. I also noticed that the exam was rather odd. It wasn't really about ministry, it was a personality test, and I didn't learn till later that they ask a lot of questions to just, to just trick you. Uh, you know, that's just how psychology tests work. So I met with him, and I, I talked to him, and... and uh, he just listened. Mm-hmm. He, he did the head nod. Anybody? Yeah. He did the head nod. The mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, and he didn't say anything. And then I had to wait, this long, excruciating wait during the summer to see if I would be accepted, waiting for that, that letter in the mail. Um, they wouldn't tell you the results of your test. It was just either you're in or you're not in. And I was so excited that summer when I, was, I received the letter that I was actually admitted into the, uh, the, the ministry program, so excited I could begin to take upper division courses and just super thrilled. I registered. I said yes, yes, yes to whatever they offered me. And I didn't know that essentially uh, as, as, as a way of um, initiating you into the ministry program, your first year of being in the ministry program, you have to begin taking what's somewhat a rite of passage as a theology student, classes in Greek. Uh, I just said, yes, 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 I signed up for everything. So you are, are, you're, you're, you're required to take two full years of Greek and one year of Hebrew. And that Greek begins right away. In fact, what they don't tell you right away is that it's, it'll be the first class you take, and it'll be at 8 a.m. Now, I don't know if you know me personally or if you remember being that age at the time, but 8 a.m. and Milton do not mix. They still don't, <laughs> but they certainly didn't at that time. But it was at 8 a.m., and for the next two years, 8 a.m. was my appointment with Greek. And I remember at the very beginning of my first Greek class, Dr. John McVeigh, who was my professor, dean of the department at that time, put out a piece of paper in front of us. And on it were scribbled some, some things <laughs> that I did not understand at the time. It was two lines, uh, you know, your introduction to Greek. And it was a couple of simple phrases in Greek that he made us tackle. He put it in front of us, and he said, this, this will be your goal. This will determine your path. Uh, I've been fascinated with those simple phrases on that paper. I still remember them. And over the next couple of years, and then on in seminary, these are two phrases that we wrestled with, I wrestled with. And I want to wrestle them with you. For they are found in the book of John, chapter 1. 
And as we begin this year, this decade, this new journey, I believe God is leading me there, and so I'm inviting you to go with me. Book of John, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. I would like for you to follow along with me. We're going to do a little bit of heavy lifting today. We're going to dig into the passage in the original language, in the Greek. It's not something that we typically do, but... But, but I, I think we need to. It'll be good for us. So we're in the book of John, chapter 1. Please open your Bibles. There's one in the pew in front of you. It doesn't matter what version that you have. Pick your favorite if you have them there. I'll be reading in the NIV. Um, but we'll also do a little bit of looking in the actual Greek original language. So are you there? John chapter 1? <clears throat> okay, so let me just be clear. We're in God's house. We're going to read God's word. Amen? That's what we do in the, God, in, in the house of God. We read God's word. We try to listen for him. We try to pay attention to what God is trying to say. And I believe God is directing us to John chapter 1, verse 1. I'll read it. You follow along with me. We're going to read a little bit and then work our way backwards. Are you there? Yes? Say amen. Okay, let's try it. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. But he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. For the true light that gives light to everyone was yet to come into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, yet to all who did receive him. To those who would believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen? Now, I read it fast, and you may have read it with some confusion, as it is oftentimes when we read the Word of God, it it wasn't written in our original language, so when translated, it might seem full or confusing or full of prepositional phrases, but, but here we have what's called the prologue, the prelude to the gospel according to John, and in these few verses, in these few passages, we have some, some really pregnant ideas about who God is. And I, and I love it, and I want us to dig in and dig deeper, especially beginning with the first verse. So let's work our way back. Now, we've sort of taken a caption of the, those first 14 verses. Usually people remember that 14, the word became flesh, but well, let's go back to, the, to, to verse 1, and this is what it says. In the beginning was the word. Do you recognize that? What does it remind you of? Genesis is the exact same phrase, in the beginning. And what we have here is, is, is fascinating. It's thousands of years later after Genesis was written, but what it is, it's an echo. And the author of this particular gospel uses that phrase in particular to point us back to the original in Genesis, in the beginning. Now in Genesis 1.1, it's four words, in the beginning. What's the fourth? Thank you. <laughs> My daughter's not here, so she's not <laughs> ready to call. I usually call on Layla, but she's not here. Uh, in the beginning. God, in the beginning God, that's how Genesis begins, in the beginning God. But, but it's trying to express that everything originates from God. Here in John, we have the same expression, but instead of God, 
God as in God the Father, instead of God the way that you would consider, here we have in the beginning was the Word. That's, that's a, a, an article preceding the noun, which makes it a proper noun. And if you'll see it in your version, it's probably capitalized. In the beginning was the Word. But let's focus really quickly on those, uh, those three first words, in the beginning. In the original language, in the Greek, <clears throat> it's actually just two words. I don't expect you to know the Greek because you weren't there. <laughs> Has anybody taken classes in Greek? I don't want to. Okay, we have. Yes. Oh, oh Bob, I did not know that. All right. So um, Bob's the expert. Anybody have problems with my sermon? Talk to Bob. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> in the original language, it's NRK, which is two words to signify in. It isn't a beginning. That's just a word that, that English translators have come up with to try to describe it. But it's, it's more like the word itself, it's more like original or something before there was a beginning, something that signifies, uh, I don't know, something without a, without a beginning. So in the original is more like it. In the origin, at the, at the, at the beginning. See how we, we can't come up with words? We define that word in the beginning in English. But NRK is actually two words that describe something that, that was before anything else was, in the origin, in the original. So the word there says NRK, NRK, hot logos, four words, five words in, in Greek. NRK, in the original, was the word. So in the English, you have in the beginning was the word. But right there in that first phrase, NRK, it's an echo of what we hear in Genesis, in the beginning. Same concept. But here's the difference and why the author uses it here. When we begin in Genesis... We begin talking about the created world, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it gives expression to the origin of us, and we have a beginning. Let me repeat that. We have a beginning. The Bible tells us that we were begun by God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. So there is an origin to us. And God precedes that origin, for we come from him. So Genesis explains to us, according to the commentaries, our origin. The nature of creation, the created world. It's, it's written in that way so that we might understand why we exist, our purpose. But here, in John, the phrase, in the beginning, is not meant to enlighten us about us. It's meant to enlighten us about Him. Not the nature of creation, but the nature of the Creator. So it says, NRK, hot logos. In the beginning was the Word. And, and if you could try to understand this by following the original language, what it's trying to say is before you can conceptualize anything of origin, there already was something, and in this case, someone. It's like, it's like a double expression. Already, he says, before there was anything. I like to call it in the before. That's how, that's how I would translate it. In the before, before you could conceptualize time, origin, or birth, or beginning, there already was past. Something already existed in the past sense. And what was that? The word. Ha logos. The word. You follow me so far? Yes? So the author here at the beginning of the gospel according to John is trying to conceptualize something that we cannot fully comprehend 
something that predates our understanding of origin, something that goes far back. We have come up with words like eternal and everlasting. But it's difficult for us to conceive anything that is not linear in time. For you have a beginning, and more than likely you will have an end. You have a birth, and you will most likely have a death. And we exist along this line of time, a line that is moving without our consent, without our permission, and against our objections. And there's nothing that we can do to jump across that line or move it backwards. Just last night, my family and I were like looking at old pictures, and I saw pictures of myself about eight years ago, and I was like, oh my gosh, I look so young. <laughs> Don't you do the same thing? Don't you kind of wish you could put pause and retain your youth? But the line keeps moving, right? Without your permission, without your will and against your objections, it is difficult for us to understand something that does not obey the rules of that time line. But that's what the author is trying to capture here. Before any of that, anticipating all that, there already was the Word in the beginning. So it echoes Genesis to help us understand that though we have a long history of our created world, we do not have an understanding of what was before that. But in the before that, God was. The Word was. In our Keha Lagos, the Word was. And, and, and what the writer does here, and, and the first time in the New Testament, and, and, and in a specific way in all of Scripture, he begins to describe this person, this particular person, with the word, word, logos. But it has a, a, an article in front of it, the word, which makes it a, a proper noun, if you will. The word. That's why it's probably capitalized in your version as it is in mine. And the reason this is important theologically and for our understanding now is that uh, the author here is trying to help us understand that, <clears throat> that who he's describing is both an entity but also an expression. That's what your words are for, right? Your words are to express what you're thinking or feeling or what you're trying to create, formulate, uh, what you're trying to, to bring into life. That's, that's what words are for. And so what is being described here is both an entity but also an expression. In Christian speak, we might call it a revelation. So in the before, before anything was, there already was a revelation, an expression. Hang with me. I know you're like, oh, gosh, why are we doing But hang in there. <laughs> People always ask me. I'll just be honest. People, Pastor, when are we going to get to the meat? Uh, you know, when are we going to talk about serious? This is why we don't talk seriously because <laughs> you all fall asleep. But we're going to do it anyway. In the beginning was the Word. Before there was anything that we could conceptualize, the Word was already revealing. You following me? Hot Lagos, the Word. And if you read it in the, in the original, it's not exactly the way it's written here, but this English translation is the best we could come up with. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And that with is very important. That with word represents that there are two entities being, at least at this point, two entities being joined together with. 
So the word with actually makes it possible for us to conceptualize that the word is separate, but is together. You see that? So it defines it as an entity. That's the only reason it can be with, together. Why this is important for us is because we believe in the trifold nature of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the author here is making sure that we understand that, yes, in fact, the word, which we're getting to who that is, the word is an entity separate from God, but with God. Yes? Yes? Separate from God, but with God. And then he says, but the word was God. This was is, is, the, is, is, is from the verb to be. So this was means that the word is being, has always been, is continuing to be God. So in this short phrase, the one that I had to learn my first year in ministry, uh, in ministry training, helps us understand the nature of the word. Now, it's not a secret. Who's the word? It's Jesus because in verse 14, the writer here says, the word became flesh. Who's the only God who has become flesh? It's Jesus. That's what we've been celebrating here. That's what all the Christmas trees and the lights, you know, that's that, that Jesus came to live among us. That's why the angel says, good news, good news. Today a Savior has been born and you will, you'll, you'll name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. So verse 14, the author says, that word, capital W, became flesh. There's the difference. In describing the flesh, he uses the word became, which has an original, a, a point of origin. But before, he uses the word was. You see the difference? So to become means there's a point where it wasn't and then it becomes. But the word was essentially defines that it was always. Yes? Yes? Okay, you're following me. Okay. <laughs> right. So, getting back to where we were, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? Say it with me. In the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, right there, that's, that's the phrase I had to parse over and over and over and over again until I figured it out my junior and senior year in college. Right there is one of the most significant theological constructs that you have to come to terms with. And here's why. For most of us, as we wrestled with Christianity and who God is, we have come to formulate an understanding of who Jesus is and how he fits. But unfortunately, over the years and over the decades, Jesus' place, Jesus' place in our lives continues to be devalued. You follow me? He continues to lose not his uh, uh, importance amongst, you know, sort of like the, 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 um, the, the common understandings of Jesus. Everyone loves Jesus. He has the nice beard and the pale skin and he has his arms open. But his place as a God continues to be devalued. And the way this looks like, in, possibly in your world, is that oftentimes you hear from me and read for yourselves the words, the examples of Jesus... But rather than seeing that as an authority figure in your life, we bring him more down to an advisor or just another option. And we choose to disregard the counsels of Jesus, the example of Jesus, the call of Jesus, and the invitation of Jesus. Now, last week, right here in our sanctuary, we celebrated in memory of Jesus. 
the rites of humility, the foot washings, the prayer for the bread and for the juice, and most of us participated. But we've made him just a symbolic figure, not a God. We don't respond to him as if in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do you see the difference? So even though our culture, the people around us is fascinated with Jesus, no one, oftentimes not even us, keeps him elevated as God. Sometimes we fear God the Father, but we think we can walk all over Jesus the Son. We ignore him. He's cute and cuddly. But the author of the book, the gospel according to John, is saying no. No, you're losing sight of who he really is. Before anything was, he was. In fact, if you keep reading, he says, look, through him, verse 3, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Growing up, Learning about the uh, church and the Bible, I, I was memorizing verses, and like you, I learned to memorize the phrase, the only begotten, right? Only begotten? Anybody? Yes? Only begotten? Uh, where do we use that phrase? John 3.16, right? John 3.16. John 3.16, the only begotten. But sometimes in your versions, it's also included here later on in, this, in, in the scripture, uh, only begotten son. But that phrase, that doesn't come from the original, that, that, that sentiment, only begotten, was, was added a couple hundred years after the, this was written in the original. It's not in there. It just sounds poetic in the English, the only begotten Son of God. That, that's not really what it says. See, Jesus wasn't begotten. He was, always was. He only became flesh is the only time he was actually born or begotten, but he already was. And so what that oftentimes misleads us into thinking is that Jesus is somehow less terrifying than the Father, more accessible, and more dismissible. You hear me right, more dismissible. But here, the Bible tells us in verse 3 that Jesus always was. The Word was God from the beginning. In fact, it was through Jesus that the world was made. Everything was made. So even though in Genesis we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, what it actually means is that the Word was active in creation. You know what that means? It means that you came to be because Jesus said so. Think about that for a second. It means that, it means that you have the eyes that you have because Jesus said so. It means that you have the skills and, and, and the abilities that you have because Jesus willed it to be so. It means that these trees are this way because Jesus was involved in the act of that creation. That's what it's saying. Through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing has been made that has been made. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And verse 5, and that light continues to shine even in the darkness because the darkness cannot overcome his light. Isn't that cool? Don't you guys think that's awesome? Now, here's why this is important for us. We're beginning a new decade, a new season. But essentially, the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? 
do you believe that the Jesus that we follow isn't just somebody from culture, somebody from the history books, but God himself, the author of your creation. And as the author of your creation, the person who knows the best who you are and what you were made for. And the one who sets the path for you. The only one who offers light to your darkness. Do you believe that? Are you willing to live as though you believe that? That's the invitation. It's almost as simple as that. And we live in a time and space where, unfortunately, friends, we're going to have to make a decision on this question. For far too long, many of us have just straddled the line and checked off the boxes, come to church, done the things that we thought were expected of us without actually accepting our response or owning our answer to this truth. Because if he is God, if he really is the author of me, the one who made me and formed me, the one who lights my darkness, then, then I must choose to follow him in every way and in every path and in every manner. It only stands to reason. Because to deviate from that means to go against everything that I was made for, created for. See, I choose to believe these words. I choose to believe these words because to me, this is what clears everything else up. Listen, listen, just follow me for a second. John says, in him, everything was made. You know what our world is wrestling with right now? Our origins. Constantly trying to figure out our reason, our purpose. What matters the most? What is of most value? And I choose to answer that question very simply. Jesus. That's my answer. Jesus. I was teaching. I, I'm actually involved in soul service today. And the kids are asking, what are some questions you're wrestling with? And even though they're 12, 13, 14, their question is like most of us. Why am I here? What was I made for? My answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. I choose to answer every question that has no answer with one word. Jesus. Why? Because in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is His light that brings life to my life. And His light can't be overcome by my darkness. No, His light overcomes all darkness. His light lights the path and the way. As I begin a new decade, that's what I want this decade to be about for me. And I'm praying that you want it for yourself. That we might be, that I might be, that you might be a person that follows in the light of Jesus Christ. And that nothing else would matter. And that no other answer would, ma would matter. That I owe everything to Jesus and Jesus alone. Are you with me? Is that what you believe? I think it's a choice that we have to make. And it's a choice that's answered the minute you walk out of these doors. Not in here. It's when you walk out, when, when you drive, when you're at work, when you're challenged. There are paths lined up in front of you. Am I going to do what I think is right, what I find just, what I believe is reasonable? Or am I going to do what Jesus says he did first? Because he always says, as I have done for you, now do for one another. You see? So my challenge to myself and to you is when we leave this place, is Jesus the answer to my every question, my every need, my every purpose? Or is he just an advisor? Have I brought him down? 
Have I, have I lowered his position as the God and made him just another one in the many voices that impact my life? I say no. I say we re-elevate him. I say we raise him up. I say we show the world that it is indeed very possible to live in the footsteps of Jesus. I say we show everyone in our families, in our communities, the difference it makes to be a Christ follower. The difference it makes to have an answer to the questions of purpose and direction, to the questions of hurt and pain and suffering. And my answer is simple. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I have no other need. I have no other answer. Just Jesus. Let's stand and sing together.